This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. We are joined by Justin Toman, who's the head of sports marketing for PepsiCo. That's right, head of sports marketing for PepsiCo. Justin, thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much. Very happy to be on with you. So head of sports marketing. That is surprising to me that there's such a title at a beverage company, although I'm sure beverages are big sponsors of sports. So tell us how that gets. Is that a new title? Have you has that been a role at PepsiCo for a long time or did you invent it or? Oh, it, I'll tell you, it's essentially, it's a dream job for me. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's been around for a little bit. Um, and PepsiCo is one of the bigger sponsors in sports. So we, mm-hmm. we have a kind of a, a small, you know, SEAL Team 6 uh, team uh, <laughs> of, of sports marketers. Uh, nice. You know, we're small, small team, but mighty. But uh, and we handle all of anything that really goes on in, that touches sports or in sports at, at any one of our brands, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, et cetera. Um, our team really runs it, has a hand in it, starts it, finishes it, activates it, you, you name it. So it's um, it's really, you know, like I said, man, a dream job come true. It's at the intersection of some really big, fun brands. When you think about things like Mountain Dew and Pepsi and the biggest sports platforms and properties in, in the nation. Um, and so to, to kind of be at that, be, you know, live at that intersection as a marketer, it really is just a, a dream so job. So let me push back on that a little. That's interesting. A dream job. So what What's your background? Are you a sports guy? Are you a marketing guy? Are you a drinker of Pepsi? <laughs> I, I'm a, I'll call it a, um, a recovering uh, competitive athlete, I guess. I ah, don't, interesting. Don't, don't quite have that out of my blood just yet. Although, so I was a gymnast at the University of Michigan oh. and was on the, the U.S. national team for a few years. And, nice. Uh, quickly realized that that wasn't a, a long-term solution for employment, uh, you know, in your, <laughs> your mid-20s. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I had to get a real job and, and went back to school and, uh, man, just felt lucky to have landed at Pepsi in, in normal marketing and brand marketing, started my career there for the first five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then for the last eight or so, uh, have been on the sports side. So, um, it's been great. It's been great to, you know, kind of finish my competitive career, learn a ton about marketing at a place like Pepsi, and then really apply that in my kind mm. of passion space of sports for the last almost almost decade, which has been really so fun. Let me just, I, I mean, I think if you're going to go to this, you know, the school of hard knocks and learn marketing, <laughs> Pepsi is the place to go. So I can imagine you're a pretty good brander if you learned what you know about branding from Pepsi. But what I'm curious about is how that gets translated into sports marketing. I mean, when you start thinking about the sponsorships or what you're doing with Pepsi in the sports world, how much do you need to understand, you know, the psychology of a fan or um, mm. that kind of stuff or, or the revenue models? America's and I have talked about this before. You know, what's the revenue model? What's the purpose of marketing at a sports team where obviously if you can have your athletes win all the time, that's the best, but it's not always the right. case. Mm-hmm. So how does all of that play together? Oh, no, it's a great question. Um, I, I all say I'm a better sports marketer now from being a brand marketer first. I think if I was to give people yep. advice, you know, 2020 hindsight, but man, spending time learning how brands operate, how brands think, how brands mm-hmm. activate, really being true to the brand identity and, and understanding you have the long and short-term things to marry. Yep. Now I'm able to apply that in the context of sports. And really, it's funny what I, what I tell my team all the time, you know, we just had a new person start. Um, 
two weeks ago. And I said, listen, there's no such thing as a sports strategy. We don't, if you ever hear somebody say, oh, what's mm. your sports strategy? Mm. It doesn't exist at a, at a brand like Pepsi. What we do, we have brand strategies, right? And then we, we apply sports to help achieve those strategies and goals. And so I always look at it like, yeah. first and foremost, we have to understand our brands and our business objectives, whatever those might be, agnostic of sports. And then our job, the job of my team is to kind of put those, you know, help fulfill those objectives through the power of sport. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a ton of ways to do that, but fundamentally it's those two things, accomplish the business objective through sport. Interesting. I got to ask you, I'm going to like to America's talk in one second, but I just want to ask you, do you watch Ted Lasso? I'm, you know, my wife and I literally started watching it last week and we're addicted. It's a phenomenal show. Because he, you remind me a little of him because you're speaking, you know, warmly and nicely about <laughs> human beings. Am I that optimistic? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and really optimistic. It seems like a new age in sports. And I just, it sounds a little bit that like that's what you were talking about. So I was wondering how that overlaps. Yep. I love the show. Uh, I don't have as, as many fun, really relevant sayings as he does probably, but I'll, I'll work on that. Yeah, no problem. I, I want to just because I want to build on what Barbara's saying, Justin, talk, take us through, uh, just give us quickly how things changed for the pandemic. I know that sports, you know, there was the bubble, there were all kinds of things changing with respect to our abilities to participate and consume sports. What did you see on your side as a sports marketer, uh, you know, as as the pandemic unfolded and things got locked down and then unlocked down and then maybe are perhaps going to go back a little bit. Talk us through a little bit of what some of the major things that you saw and how your team responded to those in what specific ways. Yeah, no, I think two fundamental things. If I just take a step back and I know we're not through it yet, man, fingers crossed. We were you know, closer to the end than the beginning, but um, two things right. I think stood, stood out to me. One, man, it was really tough when things really went down in early 2020 and throughout that summer and even the fall, um, just tough to, you know, everybody was so impacted in the, in the country, in the world, but our business as well. And our partners and, you know, the NBA, the teams, the athletes, um, their livelihoods were affected. And you just had to have a lot of empathy for the organizations and the people that were affected a lot more than PepsiCo and PepsiCo. We certainly took our, our lumps, like, like a lot of businesses did, but man, you know, I think there were, were partners of ours on the sports side that, that had it much harder. And so having a lot of empathy for them, number one, mm-hmm. number two. So actually three things that was number one, number two, um, Man, life that whole year was tough. As a, as a sports marketer, the job went from celebrating sports and using sports to, like I said, achieve brand and business objectives. It really went from that to just discussing make goods and refunds and adjustments and pauses yeah. on payments. And it was wow. mm-hmm. it was just like the stuff that nobody ever... Different. Yeah, it was, it was a... <laughs> It was a buzzkill, man. It was tough for, <laughs> yeah. for us and for the partner. I mean, nobody wants to have those conversations and we didn't get into these partnerships to have to talk about make goods and refunds, right? That's not the purpose of it, but yet we had to do that right. for our business. And, and I think we learned a lot about partners in those tough times and hopefully they learned a lot about us in a good way. I, I would like to think we approached them and used common sense over contracts in mm. most situations. Ah, interesting, nice phrase. Um, and, and it was, you know, hopefully we're done with that. I don't have, ever have to utter the phrase <laughs> force majeure again, if I do, gosh. <laughs> um, but, the, but the third thing, and this is like the most interesting and it had going forward, it's the thing with the biggest impact I think in a counterintuitive way, or this is like counterintuitive, the biggest impact of COVID is almost counterintuitive. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right when it started, this it stopped the sports world cold, right? Sport live sports stopped. There was nothing so the on NBA TV. Bubble. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They finally restarted it. And thank thank goodness, not not uh, you know, a day too soon. But um sports stopped. But the long term, actually, it's the opposite. It's counterintuitive. 
COVID actually accelerated so many things. It accelerated mm. so many fan behaviors. It accelerated oh, all these changes that we're seeing on the media and the content Give landscape. Give me an example of the fan behaviors. Yeah, I mean, so many that we're, gosh, living with and, and you know, dealing with every day now. I think in, in terms of in stadium, you think about, you know, like mobile ticketing was like sort of, you know, oh. some stadiums were doing it, uh, yeah. some stadiums weren't. And all of a sudden, like overnight, now mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a paper ticket anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Goodness, it's about time. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You'd think, you know, or or like in-seat food ordering and, and apps mm. for your food, like all this thing, all these Wow, that's going to be the way it's yeah. going to be in stadiums now? 100%. In, it, no more tickets, no more standing in line. It's going to be ordering from your seat, delivery. Wow, that's a massive change. It's, it's just, it's so much, I think it'll be so much better. Um, you know, think about in-market where we sell our products, like in grocery stores and convenience stores, man, delivery services, right? I mean, grocery Grocery delivery, right, food delivery. Right. Um, I was I think, aware of that, but I didn't think of that in the stadiums. You're really describing a very different behavior. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to be surprised. I think the mobile ticketing and, and everything else is going to be on your phone now. And I think that also actually enables much better data capture uh, mm-hmm. and analysis ah, on the back end. So, yeah. so I think it'll be, it'll be a really rich data source. Um, but even if you think about not just the beverage and sports, but like um, if you take a step back, all these state budgets, I think every, all these state budgets got crushed. And so that actually accelerated the legalization of sp- online sports gambling, which is a mm. huge revenue source for states. So it's, um, it's a, a ton of things. And then, then you have the media and the content and, and the rise of athletes as influencers even more than they were. And, mm. you know, mm-hmm. streaming services combining with, you know, online gambling companies and content production. So it's just, it's, it's, so in a way, while it stops sports and it tracks, it's actually accelerating a lot of these trends we're seeing. That's really interesting because I, I have thought about those trends in other arenas, but not how it directly affects sports. So what is Pepsi's role in this? How do you partner with the stadiums or or the sports teams or NBA or whatever? How, how does that work? Is that a partnership or... Uh, yes. I mean, it's in, in many ways and hopefully in every good sense of the word, it, it is a partnership. I mean, we, we are fortunate to have some of the best organizations and really the best people at those organizations working on our partnership with us. So um, we're, you know, we look at it, we almost have this three, three ringed strategy, if you will, you know, anchor, activate and amplify. Mm-hmm. And when we say anchor, we mean bringing our brands to life and anchoring them in the stadium. I mean, listen, we, we sell you know, snack and beverage products for, for our business. And so we, when we sell those in stadium, there's, there's revenue opportunities there. Um, but it's not just that it's bringing our brands to life in ways that we hope enhance the fan experience in the stadium. So that's what we mean by anchor. When we say activate, we, you know, that's taking it out of the stadium and actually in a market, right. In outside of, so, you know, if you're in New York city here, MetLife stadium, Jets and Giants, we want to anchor our brands in there for, for the fans to consume and engage with in fun, relevant ways. Mm-hmm. We want to activate in the New York City market. We want to take that great partnership, that Jets and Giants IP and assets and, and activate it in the market where we where we sell our products, grocery stores, convenience stores, um, you know, leveraging that to really activate it and sell in and, and sell more of our product. So is um, that like in-store displays or something that evoke the sports events or something like that? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, in, in one very you know kind of basic way, a lot of the sports IP and the a, a, a access and assets we have, um, we leverage that with customers, right? What you know the, the grocers of the world, you know, for consumer and customer programming. So yes, getting product on the floor and getting that product to turn more quickly is good for us. And a great example is we know when we do um, branded cans, right? If we do Jets, you know, Pepsi cans and Giants Pepsi cans, 
they have a higher velocity than a normal can. And so when we get those out in fall footballs, you know, right now, um, we know there's there's value there because the velocities increase. So it directly impacts the business when we can effectively activate these partnerships in market. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so uh, let me reset here. I'm Barbara Kahn along with America's Reed. This is Marketing Matters. We're joined today by Justin Toman, who's the head of sports marketing for PepsiCo. And he's talking about how complicated the business is. I mean, I guess if you think of Pepsi, you have the brand marketers, you have the grocers, that kind of business, you have the restaurant business. And this sports marketing is a completely different universe, but it's somewhat related to some of these other universes that Pepsi sells in. so, uh, so that's kind of interesting that everything that you're doing has a sports relationship to it. So you're about like the, and, and so is that, is that all seasons, football, basketball, baseball, is, does that cover it? Is that? Um... <laughs> yes, we, we, we do live and die by, by the seasonality of our partners. Um, so we have partners with, at, at all three levels of sport, if you will, the, the league level with, with, you know, leagues like the NFL and the NBA, um, and, and the NHL at the team level, we have over 60 individual pro team partnerships, um, across all the major North American sports. And then we have athletes, right? We have some of the biggest names in the world. We're very fortunate to partner with Zion Williamson, LeBron James, to name a few. Um, so really at all three levels of the, the lead so, team. So does and that work, you know, like Nike and Adidas, is there a little bit of a Pepsi Coke like world in what you're describing? Are there some teams that are Pepsi and some teams that are Coke, some athletes that are Pepsi, I assume, and some athletes that are Coke? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to butcher the economic term, but I, is it a duopoly? I mean, there, yeah, there's two big competitors. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And I yeah, guess yeah. Dr. Dr. Pepper's in there as well, but yeah. you know, there's mm-hmm. tra- traditionally two big beverage competitors. Um, and so, yeah, usually if a team is, is either Pepsi or Coke in, in a stadium, right? So you can't, usually you can't serve both just the way the, uh, the logistics work. So we do tend to have one or the other in most team partnerships. And, and same thing with league. We, we go into these partnerships as does our competitor um, and, and try to get category exclusivity for ourselves. So when you pick your athletes, is, what does a Pepsi athlete look like compared to a Coke athlete? Yeah, it's, um, well, I, I don't know about that, but uh, I can't say what they look for, but I, I know we really, what I said earlier, it's, it's come down to the brand and the business objective, right? We, we sit down with our brand teams and say, okay, what, you know, if we're going to look at an athlete or we think an athlete can kind of fill a role in the business plan, what does that athlete need to do? What are we looking for? What kinds of, is it a geographic thing? Is it national scale or is it international scale? Is it, you know, a certain sport? Um, is it certain presence on social media? Obviously mm. a good brand ambassador. You don't want, you know, somebody to, to, uh, you know, have, have any issues when you, after you sign them. So um, a great example would be the partnership we have with LeBron James. We, we just signed that for our energy drink brand Mountain Dew Rise, um, mm. launching a new brand. And really, you know, the, the question was, man, we're launching this new to the world brand. Um, one of the best ways you need to drive, you know, marketing 101, drive trial and awareness of a new brand that doesn't exist yet. And so in the context of sport, there's almost no better way to do that than to partner with, you know, the, arguably the most noticeable and influential athlete on the planet in LeBron. And I think we, we launched that campaign with announcing, announcing the partnership just got, you know, hundreds of millions of impressions. We didn't even do anything yet. And we just announced that he was partnering with us and, and that drove a ton yep. of media value. And then actually we, we followed that up with some really fun content. Uh, a TV spot that actually featured him salsa dancing, if you've seen it, and it's a pretty funny mm. spot. Yes, 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 um, yes. But it really introduced the product to the world in a way that we, we think got the product uh, you know, off and running. 
Yeah. I'm a huge LeBron fan. Yes, I, you are, Barbara. I, I was in Miami when he brought his <laughs> yes. challenge to South Beach, and I've just followed LeBron ever since. Yeah. So I, I really do love LeBron. But LeBron is one of the athletes, and I respect him for this, but I'm curious to know how you think. That, um, he does take stance on some issues, and he will speak up. He's, mm-hmm. I think he's pretty careful, and I think he's, you know, he speaks up in an intelligent way. But did that enter into your decision? How does Pepsi feel about some of those decisions? There have been some polarizing decisions in sports. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, um, you know, we think about that a lot with not just athletes, but with our team and league partnerships. I mean, there's, you know, there, nothing ever goes 100% uh, as to plan. There's always some some audibles, if you will, that are called. <laughs> but I think, yeah. uh, you know, my our, our stance, yeah. my stance on on that is, we, we encourage, I mean, we want, you know, more and more athletes have a tremendous voice and almost, you know, I think there's a responsibility to use it in a, in a responsible and educated and authentic to you way. Um, and so we're not here to tell anybody what they can and can't say. I, I fully support athletes when they take us to stand on issues that are really important to them. And, and as, as a, as a sponsor, as a partner, you know, usually we want to be, be a part of that and buy in. I mean, another great example is, is, uh, it's not just, a, you know, maybe a new soundbite, but things that athletes are, um, interested in doing or pursuing even just outside their sport, things like mm. LeBron's I Promise School. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're partnering with with the, his I Promise School in in, in Ohio and, and trying to you know be a, be a big supporter of that. So it's it's I think these days when you partner with an athlete and, and teams and leagues in general, you have to you're partnering with that whole ecosystem. It's not just here's mm. a check and show up for the production day. It's right. hey let's let's invest in the ecosystem. What's important to you? What's important to the brand? And how can those things not just coexist but amplify each other when you do it right. A quick question for you, Justin, and you know, this is not a, uh, an issue that's specific to you as a, as a guru of sports marketing. Uh, you know, obviously this is relevant to all marketing, but talk, talk us through how you conceptualize return on investment. What does that look like in your world when you're making these partnerships with, you, you mentioned impressions and things like that, but do, do you go deeper with respect to making that connection between, you know, deploying resources in particular ways and what and how that's going to lead to some kind of benefit, differential benefit based on a choice of deploying those resources to different partnerships in different ways. How does that look? How does that strategy, how does that play out in your world? Oh, man. I mean, how long you got? If, we, if this is an hour <laughs> and a half, we, we'll have enough time. Um, it's such a great, complicated question that uh, unfortunately has no one single silver bullet answer. Um, but yeah, it, it, comes, it starts with the objectives. Why are we signing a certain partnership? And I think it varies from a league deal to a team deal to an athlete deal. What, what are mm-hmm. the true, what's the objective? And let's set those success metrics up ahead of time to say, okay, we're doing this for these specific reasons. And if we achieve this, this, and this, then it's a successful partnership. Um, I think some of that does come back in short-term results. Like if, if for instance, with a team partnership, we know, you know, we, we can drive in stadium revenue, like I mentioned, mm. we can drive in stadium fan engagement and we know we can drive retail engagement. I mentioned oh. the, the higher, higher velocities of, you know, jets and yep. giants cans versus a normal can. Yep. Um, so those are all short-term metrics and you, you want to see a certain, based on your investment, you want to see a certain level of, of the short-term return there. Um, but then and even more, you know, squishy, I guess, is the longer term, you know, we, we hope, we think, we know that when we're doing long-term partnerships and most importantly, activating them in the right way with fans that we're, we hope we're building long-term equity with those fans that over the long term, we will create a positive association with fans 
we will that will lead to better purchase consideration that will lead to higher purchase eventually at the end of the day and better mm. better brand engagement so mm-hmm. it's um you know it's it's not it's certainly not enough to just negotiate the deal and do the partnership you, you have to activate it in the in the right ways and one of my fav- favorite sayings is like it does you no good to have a bunch of ferraris sitting in your garage you have to <laughs> you have to put gas in them and, and take them out on the road to get any right. use out of them so right. that's the right. same thing with the partnership you can have the best contract you know signed sealed and delivered but unless you activate it in the right ways. It really doesn't do your business much good. Interesting. Well, along the lines of what America's is talking about with this new ability to get the data at the customer level, at the fan level, I don't know how much access you'll have to that individual fan data and with GDPR and all of those other issues. I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but with a lot of the new things that PepsiCo as a company's doing, you know, to go direct, and I was kidding in the beginning about the PepsiCo restaurant that you're opening and some snack.com and some of the more direct activities, you have you now have access into that direct to consumer mind through this, what you're talking about, the change in stadium behavior. So how is that? I mean, that's much more a long-term play. You were talking about more short-term, but there's a much more long-term partnership play in this direct to the fan. I, I, you know, and I don't know, I assume the football, some of those football fans are also basketball fans and baseball fans. And uh, can, are you, do you have any ideas of doing anything on that level? Yeah, the the data is, we, we focus so much, I would say, again, accelerated by COVID. We were on the data journey to get, make sure we're getting better data and using it more effectively. But uh, COVID just really, again, accelerated that process. One great example is with our uh, NBA partnership with the league. Uh, there's like several pages in the contract that are dedicated to data and how we're going to use it and how we're going to form joint initiatives in, in cooperation and partnership with the league um, and how we're going to apply that data to our brands and businesses to get better insights and, and to apply those. So really great example of, again, there's a whole section in our contract, not just about the, the Mountain Dew three-point contest or not just about our our rights to use the NBA's IP and logo. It's actually about how, how can we use the data? And there's very specific, I'm not a, you know, I got a crash course in data over the last two years. So I, yeah. I know just mm-hmm. enough to be dangerous, but it's things like, you know, how are we leverage accessing and leveraging first party? Are we doing double blind merges of their database versus ours in a clean yeah, room? Right. Are we doing data appending, uh, you know, appending data to get a more full database? And so when we look at that and say, okay, now we know these consumers one level deeper than we did before. Now we know they're, they're a Pepsi drinker, but now we also know their favorite team. They bought, you know, apparel in the last 12 months of their exactly, favorite team. They bought a ticket. Loyalty. Right. Yeah, and it enables you to really more efficiently and effectively target them and serve up messaging that's going to be more relevant to them and hopefully then better engage with the brand. And I got to imagine that some of your more loyal users are correlated highly with sports uh, enthusiasts. I mean, I don't think that's a a spurious correlation there. So that's a pretty important population for you probably. Yes, I think it's safe to say that um, our brands, our snack and beverage brands are are at the center of the fan experience. When you think about going to a game or hosting a Super Bowl party at your house, I mean, you have soda, water and chips, right? And you know, so we're we're PepsiCo from a Frito and Pepsi standpoint has those covered. So I think we, we always say we're part of the fan experience. And so it starts there fundamentally with the products. And then we try to make sure we're delivering the right brand experiences as well. Very interesting. So, sorry, did, sorry, just, just gonna say, and we're pushing up a little bit on time. Uh, Justin, tell us, um, just give us some, some thoughts about w- what are the things you're looking at two, three, four, five years down the road that sports marketers that are keeping sports marketers up at night. What are the things that you're you're focused on? 
worried about, excited about, just give us some, give us a look into your crystal ball a little bit and give us some, some insight there. Yes. Oh, happy to do so. If, if I only had the crystal ball. Um, <laughs> and it was so strange watching this past NBA season, most of the season without fans, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. really looking forward to the traditional seasonality and, and the aspect of fans being you know, there live. I really miss that. I think players and teams do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the data piece is, is again, just taking off. And I think if you ask me in a year or two or three years, the ROI question, I'll have a much better answer, I promise, because I think oh, we'll, we'll just have, we'll have yeah. better data, right? We'll, yeah. we'll have more and yes. better data. Um, yes. So I think those, those two things go hand in hand. What I'm really fascinated by is this whole convergence of, of content producers, you mm. know, uh, distribution partners, distribution channels, online gambling, like all these, you're seeing like, you know, Barstool Sports essentially mm-hmm. sponsor a bowl game in Arizona. You're seeing mm-hmm. these companies combine to have content distribution, you know, sports gambling, esport, like everything is it's consolidating. Yeah. So our challenge is, you know, how do we the snowball is just accelerating, right? It's picking up speed and size. And so our challenge is always how do we make sure our brands staying relevant to what they're all about, you know, enjoying the fan experience with food and beverage. How can we make sure we're, you know, rolling with that snowball uh, to make sure we're we're successful going forward and that we don't get left behind as the acceleration only continues. Excellent. Yeah, this is pretty amazing. And amazing I'm looking stuff. forward. I have season tickets to football and I'm ah. looking forward to being in the stadiums again. I hope that yes. happens. Fingers crossed. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and everything you're doing in sports marketing and things going on at PepsiCo? Oh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, the, the, the sports page. I don't know. Hopefully we're doing some really impactful things. And you'll, you'll, see, you'll see our stuff. <laughs> Read your media. Watch your class. But, uh, no. Pepsi's everywhere. <laughs> no, I mean, just hopefully, you know, when the return of sports on TV, in person, in the market, hopefully fans and consumers will see us show up in really fun ways. That's great. Well, thank you. That's all we have time for today. A big thanks to Professor Americus Reed for being my co-host. We'd like to thank our audio engineer, Deanne Simpkins and Chris Tooks and our producer, Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. You can follow us on Twitter at SXM Marketing, or you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you for listening today. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Khan here with America's Read, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 